Well, there, there was one part where there was a little strategy. Joab presents a little bit of strategy. Uh, only someone who's not actually here this morning. So. Your solid view bias. Okay. Good morning and welcome to Sunday School. You're late. Door is closed. Close the door of the ark here on the flood side. We are back in the narrative of 2 Samuel. Last week we covered the Davidic Covenant a little more in detail. Um, and so we're going to cover three chapters because they're relatively shorter chapters compared to some of the ones we've been looking at. And uh, they cover a lot of battles, but not in a whole lot of detail. Um, and there's a couple other little stories in here too. I call this one David's Additionals, Conquests, and Mercies uh, because other, the other stories are not necessarily about David's conquests. Um, and we'll cover these three chapters this week, and next week we'll slow back down again because chapter 11 deals with David's sin with Bathsheba, so we'll uh, want to obviously cover that in a little more detail and talk about what was going on there and how that happened and the repercussions of that. Uh, so 2 Samuel chapters 8 through 10, that's where it will be this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, see, I'm trying to think who's prayed uh, recently. Uh, Nathan Young, would you like to pray for us? Uh, sure. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Okay, Second Samuel eight. Let's move so that we can get out here before two o'clock. Because I don't want to make someone a prophet and say that we'll be here till two o'clock. That's Brenda's prediction. Okay, Second Samuel eight verses one through four. Uh, Okay, David, you're going to go ahead and read. By the way, we uh, bribe our readers with candy, so if you want candy, you have to read. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methodic from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground, and measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured those to be put to death, and with one full line, to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Adedezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. So number one here is David's various conquest. And this is kind of a list of uh, who David fought after uh, the time that the Davidic covenant happened. First he attacked the Philistines. Again, the Philistines have been a thorn in Israel's side for many, many years, and there's still an enclave of them here. Uh, so David defeats the Philistines and subdues them. It doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about this, so let's move on. Then David defeats Moab. And uh, what's the relationship between David and Moab? Moab was a relative? He, Moab was related to David, right, in some way? How is that? 
through Ruth. Yeah, Ruth was David's great grandmother. She was a Moabite. Moabite. Moab, Moab, she was from Moab. Uh, <laughs> she was from Moab. And remember, David even fled there for a while when he was fleeing from Saul, right? So he at one point actually had a, a somewhat decent relationship with the people of Moab because he actually uh, hid there when Saul was attacking him. And this relationship at some point had soured here, and now Moab was not friendly with Israel and with David. Uh, so David defeats him, and then here we get a little more detail what happened after he wins. Uh, he makes uh, these two lines in this one line. There's a couple of theories on what this means from commentators. One is that uh, he, he uh, made kind of a, a tall line, which was two lines high and a short line, and he killed all the people that were tall, the two-line high people, and kept the short one-line people alive. Uh, you know, the big, tall, strong warriors will kill them, but we'll leave the weaker warriors alive. The other one is that uh, he, he pulled it. Uh, how many of you have seen uh, Avengers? Some of you. Uh, he did a final thing, put people in a couple lines, and killed off the two lines of people and saved the one line. So he killed two-thirds of them and kept one-thirds alive. That's kind of my theory of what I think happened. Um, he killed two lines of people, so two-thirds of them died and kept one-thirds alive, uh, weakened them to the point that they wouldn't be a threat anymore. Um, and then the result of this, they would have been severely weakened, so the Moabites would have uh, came up with this result. They would have served Israel and played, paid tribute to them because they were defeated enough that they knew they couldn't rise against Israel anymore. Uh, so he defeats Moab, and then he defeats the king of Zobah. And this king of Zobah, you look, he seems pretty strong. He has a thousand chariots. And again, chariots were like, yeah, they were like the 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 ultimate in technology at this time. These were the, the best of the war machines that they had. They had chariots. Uh, they had 700 horsemen. Horsemen were still pretty good, too. If you didn't have chariots, horsemen were the next best thing. And then 20,000 foot soldiers. So this is a pretty decent-sized group, and David defeats them. And so he took from them 1,000 chariots. Um, um, this is actually what he took from them, actually. So this isn't even what he defeated, but this is what he took in tribute from him. Um, and then he, he uh, took the, from the chariots, he, he hamstrung all but 100 of them. And I asked Bethany, who is going to be, um, who wants to be a vet, veterinary tech, um, that's her goal in life, and she's a high school student, so she obviously doesn't, hasn't studied a lot of it. But I said, what, what happens to horses when you hamstring them? And she goes, I don't know, but it's probably not good. I'm like, okay, yeah, I kind of thought that too. Um, but basically, I, it seems like it probably didn't kill him necessarily, but it definitely makes him not useful for chariot horses anymore. Um, it actually reduces their ability to run fast. They can yeah. still pull a plow or a cart. Right. You can't, you, you, you can't really pull a chariot anymore. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not useful for that task. So, so basically, he, he took away the ability of 900 of the chariot, uh, 900 of, well, then it's 100 chariot horses, so I don't know how many horses were per chariot they have. These were one-horse chariots, two-horse chariots, whatever. But there were only 100 horses left for chariots. So again, he's, he's hindering the forces that were against him from being able to rise up again and fight him. Uh, so he defeats these three countries here, these various conquests that just kind of lists off that David's having these military victories and he's having success. And again, as we get out of the Davidic covenant, part of what God promised to David, as 
again, not the long term, but, but the short term promise that God made to David is he's going to build him a house, is that he was going to have military conquest and God was going to give him rest and peace. And David is so far seeing God's promise fulfilled in that he's defeating these nations that are coming against Israel. So we see that happening. Let's move on to uh, ch- uh, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Lemuel, your hand flew up quick, so what you read. So now the author, uh, after listing these three other nations quick, he takes a little more time and talks about the Syrians. So David defeats these Syrians. And I think he does this because the Syrians are going to show up a couple times in our story over the next couple chapters. And so um, Syria is up here in the north. Um, And the Syrians, they're coming down here because of this king of Zobah, who, again, David just took the 1,000 chariots, the 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Uh, the Syrians are friends of this guy, uh, had a Dezer, the king of Zobah, and so the Syrians come to help this king. Uh, they don't like to see their alliance guy getting defeated, so they come to help. So David says, okay, you're going to come to help, I'll defeat you also. So David defeats them, kills 22,000 of their men, and David puts garrisons in Syria. So he sets up permanent troops up there, to kind of keep control over the Syrians. Um, the Syrians, they now become servants of David, and they're paying tribute to David also. And so they're under David's authority. And David takes shields of gold, and the shields of gold, these aren't like shields they take into battle. You don't take shields of gold into battle. These are ceremonial shields. These are uh, things that you hang in your temples and your palaces to show off how wealthy you are. Um, they're ornamental, and they're made to look nice, and to say, hey, look, I got shields of gold. That's how, that's how wealthy I am and how powerful I am. I got these shields of gold. So David takes these, and he t- also takes a large amount of bronze. Now, which is, do you think is better, gold or bronze? Depends on what you're trying to do. Depends on what you're trying to do. Okay. But which generally is better? Okay, okay, yeah, gold's worth more. Why do you think bronze is men- mentioned here? Bronze can turn into weapons. Okay, bronze could be turned into weapons. It could be turned into other things, too, and that's an important thing because we're going to look at that in a little bit. Second uh, Samuel chapter 8, let's go on, 9 through 12. Gabriel, go ahead. David also had dedicated these to the Lord, 
along with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he took the Jews from Syria, from the west, from the people of the land, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of either the dead. So the king of Hamath honors David. Now this is the fun thing that happens as you start defeating some of these nations. Other nations go, oh hey, by defeating this guy, you helped me. I like that. Let's be friends. And this is exactly what happens. This Toi, the king of uh, Hamath, sees, hey, you defeated the guy that's been bugging me all these years. I like you. I'm going to send you some presents. And we're going to be friends. So here David defeated the king of Zobah. And so he sends his son to greet and to bless David. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, we've been under this oppression. It's been terrible. You defeated this guy. We, <laughs> we're going to come and serve you. We're going we're gonna to be your servants. We're gonna, and maybe there's a little fear there, too, because you know David just defeated this guy who has been defeating us. We don't want anything to do with you, David. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be your friend here. Um, so Zoba was his enemy, so he gave David articles of silver, gold, and bronze. Here's gifts. We're your friends. Don't, don't hurt us. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't bother with us. We're, we're good with you. And David gives, gets these articles of silver, gold, and bronze. And now David, what does he do with it? David's rich. All right, yes, David has all kinds of money. He's going to go out and buy himself a nice new car and a yacht and uh, houses in the Mediterranean. No, what does David do with it? He dedicates it to the Lord. And he takes that, not only the stuff that he just got here, but all the stuff that he conquered, he's going to dedicate it to the Lord. Now, what does it mean to dedicate it to the Lord? Yeah, I'm thankful we have uh, First Chronicles because a lot of times First Chronicles gives us more information that the writer of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings doesn't give us, uh, like in the sermon this morning. Uh, we got extra information. First Chronicles 18.8 gives us some extra information. If you look there, it says, Also from Tibeth and from Chun, the cities of Hadadezer. Who is Hadadezer again? That's the guy from Zobah that David just conquered, right? So this is at least part of that. David brought a large amount of bronze with which Solomon made the bronze sea. What's the bronze sea? It is something in the temple. I mean, Guys look all confused. So you have the you have the temple itself. Remember, you have the temple's kind of this building here. And yeah, it, you have it in the back. You have the Holy of Holies. You have the Ark of the Covenant, right? And um, you have the uh, I believe uh, what else was in there? Was something else in there? I don't remember what it was. It was the there's stuff in the ark, but there's another feature there because the lamp stands out here. I'll, I'll draw this out. There's 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 an altar of incense is here. The lampstand, the altar of showbread. Thought there was something. Okay, I'm not thinking straight, but I know that's there. Then you have the outside of the temple, and you have the altar for the burnt offering, and you have this large basin of water, which is the bronze sea. 
And I think you said, you know, the, the priests would wash their hands in the bronze sea, and that's, that was outside there. I might have drawn it a little big. It's probably not that big. But it, it was large. Um, and so that was, that's a simplified temple. I'm sure there's more to it than that. I know I'm missing something. There's something else in there. What was in there? The mercy seat's on the Ark of the Covenant, but there was... I can't, I'm going to have to look it up. I thought there was something else. I'm, Hmm? I don't know. I'll have to think of it. The cherubim are on the mercy seat. Yes, that's true. But I, I figured that the Ark of the Covenant, mercy seat, that's all kind of, they're together. But I thought there was another, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking straight, so it doesn't matter. I'm probably wrong. Anyway. You're right, though. The cherubim are there, and the mercy seat, that's all there. It's not important, but anyway, so yes, he did the dedicating it. was probably, he's saying aside, because remember, he's not building the temple, but he's, when Solomon comes to power, Solomon has stuff together already, and he has contacts, and he has people that are going to give him materials for the temple, because... David's getting all this stuff prepared, and so David even now is thinking, okay, I'm getting all this gold, I'm getting all this silver, I'm getting all this bronze. What am I going to do with this? And remember, even when he received the Davidic covenant, David was saying, you know, God, I know you're not doing this for me, David. I know you're doing this for your glory and for your honor to lift yourself up. You know, I think David's thinking ahead and thinking, okay, I'm going to dedicate this stuff to God to use for his glory. David's already thinking this way, and so all this stuff is coming to him, and David's like, oh, this is great. We can use this for the temple. For you know, when God promised that my son's going to build it, I can set this aside, and we can have this ready so that we can do this. You know, David's not thinking of himself and then and getting himself rich. He's thinking of how can we use this for God's building that God's not letting me build, but that's going to get built here eventually. And so he's dedicating it to the Lord. So it, it, you see David's heart here that even. Even now, even knowing that he's not going to build the temple, he's still thinking, like, I still, <laughs> I still want to do this. And I still want to have a part in doing this. And anything I can do to help out, I'm going to try to do that. So it's just, just kind of neat how David's mind is still like, I, I want to serve God, even though God's not going to let me build the temple. I'm still going to, I'm still going to have everything in place. So when my son, my son, whoever that is, he doesn't know who, which son it is yet, but my son who's going to build the temple, whenever he does that, it's going to be all ready for him. Uh, David's planning ahead and doing that. So, good. Okay, let's move on. 13 through 18. Josiah. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the valley of Saul. He also put garrisons in Edom around all of He put garrisons in all the Elites and David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahu, was reporter. Zadok, the son of Ahadu, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was the scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Gerasites and the Pelasites. And David's sons were chief ministers. So we see David's continued successes here.
I have to stop for a second. I, don't, I always like to put one C in success, and there's two. I, every time I type it, I put one in, and my computer changes it. The whiteboard won't change it for me, so I gotta write it right the first time. Um, so David's fame increases. He has another victory, it looks like, over the Syrians, killing 18,000 more in the Valley of Salt, which is near the Dead Sea. Um, he also put garrisons in Edom. Who are the Edomites again? Yeah, Esau's descendants. Edom's way down here. So this is now victories in the south because Dead Sea is down here, Valley of Salt, and then down to Edom. Um, so he put garrisons also there. Obviously, David has a large army if he's able to put garrisons up in the north and garrisons in the south. And he's conquering a lot of land. And the Edomites, they also serve David. Um, and so here we get a statement in verse 14, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And so we see that God is on David's side, and he's preserving him and causing him to have these victories and causing him to have these successes. And then we uh, see David reigning over Israel, and we see uh, this kind of a list of David's... Uh, uh, actually, I got here that we have a, a David administered judgment and he administered justice. And one, one commentator mentioned, you know, when we look at the Davidic covenant... This is what the king who comes after David, this is how he was going to reign too. He was going to be a king who administered judgment and justice, to reign in righteousness. And David kind of models that a little bit. Obviously not perfectly. We're going to see David fails in a lot of ways along the way. But uh, David was overall a good king who did what was right and did what was good. And then we get a list of some of his officials. And I'm not going to go through who they were and what they all did. Um, we could study that, but I want to, for time's sake, we're just going to move on. But there's a list of his officials there. Uh, you could be a recorder for the king, so that sounds like an interesting job. It sounds like an accountant almost, doesn't it? Recorder. How many grains of, how many bags of wheat do we have? We have 7,426 bags of wheat. Okay, good. How many bags of oats do we have? We have 6,200. Okay, great. Great, that's good. Thank you for recording that. Okay. So let's move on. Second Samuel 9. Miriam. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zebah. And when they had called to see David, the king said to him, Are you Zebah? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show you? Okay, so number five here, David chooses to show kindness to Saul's descendants. To Saul's house here. Um, And so David inquires, because he's still, and, and this is, I just think it's fascinating about David because, again, David was harassed by Saul for probably close to 22 years, from what I can figure, uh, looking at the timeline. Um, 
chased around, uh, threatened with his life at least twice when Saul tried to spear him in the palace, um, as well as you know fighting battles with Saul and uh, different things like that. I would be bitter at this point. Um, you know, this this guy just caused me this much pain, and you know he was away from his family, he was away from his friends, he was in exile, he had to spend time with the Philistines. That couldn't have been very enjoyable. Um, <sighs> And yet David here still wants to show kindness to Saul's house. I just, I, I, don't, I don't understand David's mindset, but again, this is maybe why David has a, a, is a man after God's own heart, because he can show mercy and kindness to someone uh, like Saul and his descendants. And uh, so he wants to bless Saul's house and his descendants, and he, he inquires, is there anybody left I can show kindness to? Anybody at all. And yeah, there's, there's one son of Jonathan left. And he's, he's here, but he's lame in the feet. Why is he lame in the feet? Yeah, because remember when uh, Saul and Jonathan and Saul's three sons all died, they were fleeing, and he fell and broke his legs. They never really healed right. So, um, and that was when he was five, and he's, this is much later, so he's, he's older and still does not walk. And so they find uh, Saul's servant, Ziba, and she comes forward, and David asks her, and I think David's kind of kind here because he, he tells her the reason why he's asking. He doesn't say, is there, is there any of Saul's descendants left? And she doesn't have to stew and go, was he going to kill the last of Saul's descendants? I think he is. Oh, is it a he? Yes. I guess not. It's a he. So he asks him, thank you, and and he doesn't have to stew in his uh, thoughts here and, and think, is, he, is David going to kill this last descendant of Saul? But David says right away, I want to show kindness, the kindness of God to him. And so Ziba says to the king, yes, there's, there's a son of Jonathan. And the king finds out where he is, and Ziba gives the location, and the, the king sends for him and brings him to the palace. And so let's look at 6 3. Let's see how... Uh, what David wants to do here. Who wants to read? Janet, go ahead. So David blesses Mephibosheth. There's another one of those wonderful names for your kids. So, you know, just next time you have a boy, there's, there's one you should think about. Uh, Mephibosheth falls before David. Uh, I think, honestly, here, you know, as much as you say, I want to bring this guy in and bless him, there's probably something in the back of Mephibosheth's mind thinking, okay, I'm coming before David, who's the guy who replaced my grandfather. And, you know, he still probably says, he might think I have some claim to the throne, even though I'm lame and whatever. 
he may still try to kill me. So he's he's probably trying to show I, I I'm not I'm not here thinking of myself anything. So he's falling, he prostrates himself, he falls to the ground. I think he's showing David that look, I'm 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 humbling myself before you. I I recognize you as the king. I'm a nobody. I'm not trying to take your place. And David again doesn't let him fret for very long. He says, "Do not fear. I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake." And I don't know how much Mephibosheth knows about Jonathan and David's relationship. He was only five when Jonathan died. So uh, he probably doesn't know a whole lot about it, but David tells him what he's going to do. You're going to inherit the land of your, fa- your father Saul, so everything your father owned. And Saul probably had a lot. So the, there's a good estate that he's going to inherit. And secondly, you're going to eat at the king's table. Eat bread at my table continually. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be part of my household. That's a great honor for him to bring the descendant of the guy that was, you know, not, I don't think for David's sake, it wasn't David's enemy, but Saul made David his enemy. But David's going to bring his grandson into his house and provide for him and care for him and treat him basically like one of his own family. And David's really showing great kindness to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, yep. And Mephibosheth responds humbly. Uh, he bows himself and he says, "What is your servant?" And I don't think it, I don't think this is him being like you know this this isn't a false humility here. He he knows that he doesn't deserve anything. He's 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 he has nothing. He doesn't bring anything to the table here. But what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I and the idea of dogs, we think of dogs as cute. You know, everybody wants to have a nice puppy, and they're so cute and fun to pet. This time, dogs were not cute. The dogs were worthless. Dogs were the lowest of low, and being a dead dog was like, you're, not only are you a dog, but you're a dead dog. You're, you're really worthless. And he's saying, I, I have nothing. I, I'm, I'm a no one, and you're bringing me in and making me as one of the king's sons. He understands the honor that David's giving him here. And he understands how unworthy he is of that honor and the grace that David is showing him. And so um, he, he, this, is, this is not lost on Mephibosheth. He's, he understands what David is doing here, um, just, just the grace David is showing him. So let's read on uh, verses 9 through 13. Joanna? So David charges Ziba, not charges like as he gets up and runs at Ziba. He <laughs> charges him with what he's supposed to do. So David tells Ziba the promise of Mephibosheth. This is what I am doing for your master's son. I'm giving everything that belonged to Saul um, 
to your master's son and everything that belonged to Saul's house. And then here's what you're going to do. You, your sons, your servants, you're going to work the land for him. You're going to take care of all this land. You're going to bring in the harvest for him, and you're going to make sure that he has food to eat. Because Meshivoshef doesn't have any food to eat. No, Meshivoshef's going to eat at my table. So so Meshivoshef will have food to eat, but they're going to take care of his land. He's going to make sure that the land's not unproductive, that it's, it's being taken care of the right way, that their harvest is coming in, that it's, it's a productive land. It's not going to go to waste. And so they're taking care of that land for Meshivoshef's family. Um, and so that's, that's your job. You're now serving Mephibosheth in his land. Even though he's being taken care of by me, you're going to take care of his land. And Ziba, um, Ziba has a nice, uh, strong group of people, 15 sons and 20 servants. So that's a pretty good workforce. That's, that's enough people to do the job. And Ziba says to the king that, yeah, I'm, I'll do that. According to what the, the Lord, the king, has commanded the servant, I'll, I will do. I'm gonna, I will do that. Uh, so Ziba's a pretty loyal servant. That's, that's pretty good there. Plus the king's asking him or telling him to do that, so he probably doesn't want to say no at that point. Um, and um, we go on, and uh, David reiterates that the Mephibosheth will eat at the king's table like one of the king's sons, again, saying what, what the king has promised to do. Um, Mephibosheth also had a young son whose name was Micah, finally somebody with a halfway normal name, right? You can pronounce here. Um, and all, the house, all who dwell in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and ate at David's table continually. So David took care of him. So David shows this great blessing to the, the grandson of Saul. And it's just really a, a very neat story in the midst of a war previous, and then we're going to talk about some more wars of David, uh, that David wants to show kindness to the grandson of a guy that really did not treat him very well at all. And yet David wants to do the right thing and the good thing. And so really see David's heart here uh, and how much David is willing to take what God has given him, how God has blessed him and blessed someone else with it. Uh, just really a neat story about David and his heart. Well, David, David's not done. He wants to bless some more people. So Second Samuel 10, verses 1 and 2. Who wants to read? Lynn, go ahead. So David has another chance. He wants to show some kindness. That's my word there. Yep. He desires to show kindness to this king. And so the king of uh, Amon, uh, the king had died. That's king that showed kindness to David, and his son was now king, and he wanted to go show kindness to him by comforting his son as his father died. So he sends his servants. This is great. The king had died. Hanun, his son, was reigning, and David wanted to show kindness to Hanun because his father showed such great kindness to David. So he sends his messengers to the king, and their goal is they're going to go comfort this new king. And, and David really wants to do something kind for this king, and this is going to turn out so well. Verses 3 and 4, who wants to read? We're all done with our readers? Miriam, do you want to read again? And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, 
So Hanan, in return for this kindness, humiliates David's messengers. So the princes of the people give Ammon some bad advice. David's not honoring your father. You're being a fool if you think so. Uh, He's not sent comforters to you. What he's done is he sent spies to you. Where have we heard this kind of argument before? Remember Joab? Um, Remember when... uh, What's that? Yeah, when... I was going to go there, too. But the first, that was my second point. My first point was, uh, remember back when uh, Joab and uh, Abner, when Abner was coming to David, remember Abner was going to say, I'm, I'm coming to you, I'm done with uh, Ishbosheth, and uh, I'm coming to you, and I can bring Israel to you. And David was like, okay, great, let's work together. And then Joab heard about it and said, hey, he's, he's not coming to help you. He's coming to spy you out. And Joab tried to give David some bad advice about that. This is, this is kind of that same argument. David didn't listen. Um, Hanan decides he is going to listen to his advisors. You know, you're right. David wouldn't be trying to comfort me. He's the enemy. We've got to do something about this. So he takes David's uh, servants. He shaves half their beard off. Um, some women would, would like that, right? Too much beard. Just take all, shave all the beard off. My wife doesn't like beards so much. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of beards. I feel like it makes me look like 20 years older. Plus, mine would be really gray now. I don't think I'd like that. Um, but I, I've never liked beards, but my wife doesn't like beards. And, but, but at this time, you shave half the beard off. I mean, they're not, they're not doing a nice shave either, I'm sure. Um, he cuts their garments at their buttocks. Now, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't want to expose my backside either, but you know, this was really an insult at this time. This was, like, this was disgraceful. He's disgracing them, and then he's sending them away. He's like, he's like really shaming them and saying, we have no respect for your messengers. You tried to pull this on us. This is what we think of your messengers. We, we have absolutely no respect for what you're doing, David. He's really insulting David by doing this. And so, yeah, and you brought up... Uh, um, you brought up um, Absalom, who, who listened to the advice. I was actually thinking of uh, Rehoboam, too. He had, uh, he had the old guys telling him, you know, your, your father Solomon, he made our lives hard. You make our lives easy, and we'll follow you. And Rehoboam said, ah, I don't like that. What, what do you young guys say? Oh, your, your father made lives hard. You make it harder. You put more weight on the people. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Let's do that. And you know, ten of the tribes said, nope. We don't have any part in David. We're, we're, we're going off on our own. Um, so you've got to be careful who you're listening to. So a lot of good examples of people that just took some bad advice. So this is going to be really bad advice. Well, we've already seen David's, David's on a conquering spree here. He's been defeating lots of people. This guy, um, Ammon, is one of those countries we've heard of. Some of these countries we haven't heard of. Ammon we've heard of, but he's not making a good, good uh, decision here. Verses 5 through 8, who would like to read? Syrians of Beth Rahab and 
the Syrian king Zoba, 22,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Ma'aka, 1,000 men, and from Ishtob, 12,000. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the armies of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zoba, Beth Rehob, Ishtob, and Ma'aka were by themselves in so David prepares to retaliate. This is, this is not, David sees this and says, nope. Again, I don't have spell checks, so I'm going to grab my paper here. I've never been a Greek speller. I've gotten better at some things, but there's a few words. Still give me trouble. Um, so the men return. David sends them to Jericho because, well, you can, you can patch up the garments. The beards are going to take a while. So you go to Jericho where we don't have to look at your beards. Let them grow back in. Um, we don't want to see the humiliation. It, it, it's, it's not that bad, but it's something like that. You know, it, you, it's also weird more that they won't be seen by everyone. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's I'm guessing David probably is like, well, I don't really care. I know why it's that way, but I know that you probably don't want me to see you that way. So just go to Jericho... It's, it's kind of that. It's kind of like, go hide your shame until you, you, the shame's gone. It's you go out of the way to Jericho. Um, over here is Jericho, by the way, Benjamin. Send them to Benjamin. That's where Saul's from. Go to Saul's land. I don't want to see. I don't know. That's just part of it. Um, so the people of Ammon prepare for David. They, um, they saw they made themselves repulsive to David. Really? You, you figured that out? Okay. Uh, so they hire... Uh, 30, I put they hired 33,000 mercenaries because that's basically what they did. They went to the Syrians and said, hey, we need to hire some troops. And you listen and you, you add it up, it's about 33,000 men. Um, we'll see how that works out in a second. Uh, so David sends his army to Ammon. He gets Joab. And, of course, Joab is now the experienced veteran. Um, he's fought quite a bit for David. He's a good strategist. He's won. And we'll see that he's, he's a smart strategist in a second. And he, he says the army of the mighty men. So uh, David's army now has a reputation. They're not just, it's not just the, the ragtag Israelites. It's the mighty men of Israel. They're, they, this is a proven army. This is not a ragtag group of people. They're, they've won. They've won lots of battles. They're, they're a good fighting squad. Um, you know, Ammon's right to be hiring extra people because they're facing the elite army of the land at this point. Uh, so the Ammonites prepare to defend their city. They're, they're, not, they're not going out to meet Israel. They're in their city are saying, okay, we're, we're, we'll wait for them to come to us because we're not ready to meet them. Um, so that's what's happening here. Verses 9 through 14. Who's next? Go ahead, Brenna. Saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and 
So Joab defeats Ammon. Again, remember early on there was a section on the Syrians. This is where why I brought the Syrians back in because they are coming back into the story here. Um, so Joab defies his forces because all of a sudden there's two battle lines. The Syrians are in one place and the forces of Ammon are in another. So he places some men under his command and he places the rest under his brother's command. And they're, they're kind of fighting on two sides. And so he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll fight and if one of us is having trouble, we'll support each other. And if you're having, you're having a hard time, I'll send some of my men over there to support you. If I'm having a hard time, you said some of your men to support me, and we'll make sure that we keep both battle lines strong. And Joab encourages the people of Israel, and he says, be of good courage, which, again, is not a new thing to say to Israel. This has been, you think back to even Joshua. Joshua commanded the people to be of good courage, be strong. Again, I remember from the book of Joshua, and he says, be strong for Israel, for the cities of God. And he ends with, may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Now, Joab, again, doesn't strike me as the most religious person in the world. Um, He's done some wicked things all along and will continue to do some wicked things. Um, But I would assume the influence of David has rubbed off on him somewhat. And that, again, uh, he's, he's probably, at least in some respect, understands and knows who God is. Uh, possibly because of the influence of David. And so he's, he's encouraging the people in the right way, at least, even if he's not a fully 100% committed Hebrew. He's, he's giving the right words, be strong for Israel, for the city of God, and God's going to do what he wants to do. And, and God's with us, and God has been with us, and has been with David. So let's trust him, at least. So I, I don't know where, where Joab's heart really is. It's hard to tell in these stories. And again, I don't think all of his actions are righteous actions, and a lot of his actions are wicked actions. But Joab's armies do end up winning here. And we see that the the Syrians are the first to flee. Now, the Syrians are the mercenaries, right? And this is what happens with people that you're paying to fight for you. When the things start going bad, they're like, well, we're not getting paid enough for this. Let's get out of here. So they take off. Um, they have no stake in this battle. This is in the land of Ammon, and they're like, okay, uh, forget it, we're out of here. So they take off. Yes? Well, you know, they were hired from areas where David already had victories. They might be survivors from those massacres. Yeah. As soon as they're up against Israel, no, we're done. Yeah, they, they've seen this before, right? They, 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 they thought, oh, you're fighting Israel. Let's, let's see how it goes. Maybe we can get back at them, and now it starts going bad again. Oh, we've been through this before. We're out of here. And, of course, Amon sees this, that the Syrians are fleeing, and they're like, oh, oh no, we've lost our support. And so now they take off. And they fled, and then uh, uh, they fled before Abishai, and they entered their city. And it seems like Joab probably didn't have enough forces, or one commentator said it was probably the wrong time of the year to conquer the city. So Joab lets them take, go back in their city, and then returns to Jerusalem. Um, so the Syrians, even though they flee, they're not done yet. So let's look at verses 15 through 19. One more reader, Abigail.
were the Jordan, and came to Hamath. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 Syrian troops and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians, and struck Shabak, the commander of the army, who died there. And when all the kings who were servants to Habakkuk saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians so David defeats the Syrians again. So the Syrians gather, uh, gather together against David. So apparently, after fleeing as mercenaries, they're, they're kind of offended that they lost. And so the king gathers them together and says, this is enough, we've got to deal with David. We can't keep on losing, Deb. So, so they haven't learned yet, so they regroup with the rest of their army, and they regroup on the other side of the Jordan. David hears about this. He gathers his army, crosses the Jordan, and found the Syrian army. And so David comes in, he, they, they fight together, and the Syrians, they flee again. So they, just, they keep running away. David had killed many of them, 700 charioteers, 40,000 horsemen, and apparently their famous commander, Shobach, who's... Apparently famous because he gets mentioned here, so he must be well known. And the Syrians end up, they end up finally making peace with Israel. They serve Israel, which, by the way, in chapter 8, it said that they served Israel, but apparently that didn't last very long. But they decide to serve Israel here. And also, now they decide that they're no longer going to help Amon anymore because that didn't turn out very well. So they're not, they're, they're like, we're done doing that. That was a bad idea on our part. Uh, so David has all these great victories and in the midst of it, he's still trying to show kindness to people. So a couple takeaways. Again, when you have a, three chapters of mostly battles, it's hard to go, what's the spiritual takeaway? Let's go on and fight people. No, we can't <laughs> see that. Um, but I see that God is working on his promise to David. We just come out of the chapter of the Davidic covenant where God promises David a kingdom, but there, there were some more... Uh, there, some of the promises in there are also applied to David specifically, that God was going to give David rest and he was going to... Uh, provide David safety. And he's working on his promise to David. David continues to have military success and his fame is increasing. That's something that God promised to David specifically in the Davidic covenant. And yet David, he continues to use his blessing from God to try to bless others. I think that David, again, his response to the Davidic covenant, one thing that really struck me is that David said, God, I, I know you're not doing this for my sake. You're doing this for your sake. You're doing this for your glory. You know, David never saw the Davidic covenant as something to promote David. It was never something that was meant to glorify David and make him, you know, the greatest of the greatest. David always saw this as, God, I know this is you're promoting your kingdom and your glory and your honor, and that you're just using me in that. And his response to the Davidic covenant, by, you know, he said, I'm your servant, ten times after that in his speech back to God. Your servant, your servant, your servant. He, he is there to serve God's purpose. And I think even as you look and, you know, he, he gets all this gold and silver and bronze, what does he do? He, he dedicates it to God's temple. And, you know, as he's the king here, he says, how can I bless Saul's house? And, you know, even this other king, this king dies. He's like, I want to bless this king. Even though that turned out bad, he, he had the right idea. He's trying to use what God's given him to bless and honor others. Um, Next week we'll see him fail miserably, but we, uh, you know, we, we, like I say, we can't hold that against him. He should have done what's right, but we all should do what's right. We, we all fail and we all sin, and we need to confess that and, and, and turn back to God. But 
Do we use what God's given us and do we use the blessings God's given us to bless others and to serve others and to be a benefit to others to bring about, and I don't want to say God's kingdom, you know, we don't directly affect God's kingdom in that sense, but to bring about God's plan and, and to reach people for Christ and to, to minister to people's needs. Is that what we're doing with what God's blessed us with? Because that ought to be our goal in life, that, you know, okay, God's blessed me with a house. Do I use that house to reach people for Christ? Do I use that house to bless God's people? Do I use that house to minister to people in need? God's blessed me with a car. Do I use that car to reach people for Christ? Do I use that car to bless God's people? Do you use that car to help people in need? You know, everything that God's blessed me with, is that something I use for God's glory and honor? Because it seems like that's what David at least looks like that's what he's trying to do with what God's blessed him with. And I, I think that's an appropriate takeaway for us, that um, we would see what God's given us and say, how can I use that for God? Um, and then secondly, I think uh, a good thing here is be careful who you, be careful who you listen to for advice. <laughs> so important that when we seek advice from others, that we go to people who love the Lord and who are grounded in God's word. Uh, if we do that, we are in danger of receiving advice that will ultimately lead us to a place where we do not want to be. And uh, it reminds me of Proverbs. Proverbs repeatedly reminds us that a wise man listens to good counsel. Uh, you know, here in this example, that the, the king just he listened to just bad advice. And again, he's he's from a pagan nation that didn't know the Lord, and I'm sure he did not have you know prophets of Israel telling him what to do here. But it's it's a warning to us. You know, are we are we going to God's word first, and then when we're still not sure, do we go to our pastor? I, mean, I know we don't have a pastor in Northridge yet, but you know, hopefully we're going to have an interim pastor. Do we go to godly men and women? Do we talk to people who love the Lord and who are living out what God's word says and say, "Hey, I need some advice. How, what do you think I should do in this situation? How do you think I should go forward?" I think God's given us each other for that as we're walking in the Lord and as we're doing what's right, that we can help each other along. And so um, we need to be careful of that. Obviously, God's word is the first place. If God's word says do this or don't do that, that's, that's, the, that's the end all of our advice. You know, we, we stick with that. But there's times where like, okay, I know what God's word says, but I'm still not sure what to do in this situation. It's, it's not clear to me. Then, then let's, let's seek out godly counsel from people that know the word of God and who are walking in God's ways and, and, and get the help that we need that way. Does that make sense? Any thoughts or questions or comments? A lot of chapters. I still got done in less than an hour, so that's that be a world record for me. Let's drop my pen. Okay, let's have uh, someone close in prayer. Matt, will you close us in prayer? Thank you.